Welcome back to the last of the three-part Home Detox Workshop series that I led for the Everwell community over Zoom in 2021. In this episode, you will learn simple tips to detox your drinking water and sleep quality, two very important aspects of your life. If you missed the last two episodes, be sure to check them out. In episode 47, you can learn practical approaches to improving your indoor air quality. In episode 46, you will hear a motivating informational framework through which you can appreciate the benefits of detoxing your home. You can also hear my introduction to me and my detox origins and journey. The Home Detox Workshop series that you have been listening to in episodes 46 to 48 is the audio component of a visual presentation that I created. I learned so many fascinating and motivating data in preparing the presentation for this workshop that I often find myself eager to revisit it for my own benefit. So I am making this video presentation available for you to watch. It shows more details from the studies and articles that I discuss in episodes 46 to 48. To learn more, Register for my email newsletter as soon as possible, and I'll let my email subscribers know when this workshop becomes available. To join my free newsletter, just text DETOX to the number 66866. Again, text DETOX, D-E-T-O-X, to the number 66866. Now, on with the show. Hi, I'm Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of the critically acclaimed best-selling book, A to Z of Detoxing, The Ultimate Guide to Reducing Our Toxic Exposures, and founder of Ruan Living, the only wellness lifestyle brand that simplifies practical, non-toxic living. Welcome to my podcast. Okay, welcome everyone. We are so thrilled to welcome you back for part two of Everwell's Home Detox Experience with the wonderful Sophia Ruan Goucher. As most of you know, I'm Abby Knott, one of Everwell's co-founders, and my partner Lindsay Hurdy will be here momentarily. So this two-part workshop series explores reducing our toxic exposures um, and really provides the foundational essentials we need for a practical, non-toxic, and healing lifestyle that benefits our homes, our bodies, our minds, and the planet. So in part one, we discussed budget-friendly detox tips to improve our indoor air quality. And for part two of this workshop, we will be focusing today on detoxing our drinking water and sleep quality. And Sophia is going to lead us through some really practical approaches to drinking cleaner water and to optimizing our sleep quality. Sleep is one of the most powerful ways we can detox and heal. And Sophia is going to help position our space for optimal restoration. So without further ado, Sophia, I will pass it off to you. Hi, everyone. So as Abby said, today we're going to talk about water and sleep. In water, we'll talk about bottled water versus tap water, water filtration, and ways to detox your sleep. We'll talk about how to prioritize your sleep areas with your detox efforts and electromagnetic fields. I would like to first explain that I am not an expert in water quality and water filters, but I've been studying this whenever I can for about 14 years, I have found it very, very challenging because 
information has been imperfect and conflicting. I would speak to any water filtration expert that I could. And I often found that they didn't necessarily have the same concerns I had. So for example, many years ago, I was reading in reports from like the United Nations that there are ingredients in wildlife and bodies of water, ingredients from cleaning products and personal care products and pharmaceuticals that our water treatment facilities are not designed to filter out. And when I would ask water filtration experts about whether their products filtered out these ingredients, they said, what? No, it's not in the water. And so that contributed to me feeling insecure about whether my water was safe enough. And for some background, I have two homes, one in New York City and one in Long Island. And I didn't really worry about New York City water as much because it has a reputation for being the safest in the United States or among the safest. But I'll explain more why I do filter water in the city. But out east, I was very concerned because there are cancer clusters in Long Island. There have been studies to try and understand what might be contributing to the cancer clusters. And there really isn't an answer. And what I read was making me very concerned about the water quality. So as background, that's why I kept revisiting this topic of water filtration. So I have six polls during this hour, just thinking I might make it more interesting and engaging. The first one is, which answer below best describes how often you drink from plastic water bottles? 80% say only when I must. That's fantastic. A really common question is, is bottled water safer? It's really hard to know because water in bottled water is not as regulated as tap water. One study by the Environmental Working Group found that in popular brands of bottled water, there were disinfection byproducts, industrial chemicals, prescription drugs, and bacteria in bottled water. So some bottled water might be safer than your tap water, but it's just hard to know. And you really need to get to know what your tap water is like. For example, if you were in Flint, Michigan, lead was a concern. And I do think this is a very local issue. But the second poll question, at home, do you usually drink tap water or bottled water? Great. 75% drink tap water. 25% drink bottled water. I found it helpful to understand the potential sources of contamination for water. So first, you want to think about where is your water coming from? So again, with my home in Long Island, the water comes from this source that has emerging contaminants, like rising up to the surface of what touches the water. And so over time, there have been more contaminants in our water supply And one example of what is an emerging contaminant is, I call them PFCs. They stand for perfluorinated compounds, but it's a family of compounds that are used to create resistance in nonstick pans, fabrics to prevent stain. It creates water repellency. It's a really commonly used chemical that's highly persistent. It's expected to be on our planet for at least a century, and it's increasingly being found in sources of water. And there are other examples, but like in my Long Island home, 
There's also industrial activity around these sources of water. So that's also something I need to understand. And also we live among agriculture. So also the spraying of pesticides is an issue. So one, get to know where your water comes from and whether there are immersion contaminants that your water treatment facility has not really caught up with in terms of filtering. Two, how is water treated? So in Suffolk County, where my country home is, there's a lot of chlorine in the water as a byproduct of the treatment system. And so when I look for a water filter, I want to make sure it definitely addresses chlorine and the other things that tend to be in my local water supply. Another potential source of contamination are the pipes through which the water flows. One thing you can do to understand your local water supply is municipal water authorities are required to test the water and release a report at least once a year and everyone can get it for free. So you just have to look up who your local water authority is and request the report. But just keep in mind that that tells you the results of just the water from the water treatment facility. But there can be additional contamination through the pipes through which the water goes through to get to your homes. And then fourth, the fixtures in your home that the water exits from also can be a potential source. And then last are the containers used to contain the water, like plastic water bottles. For perspective, I just want to say that water in the United States is among the safest water in the world. However, like I said earlier, there are a family of compounds known as emergent contaminants. You can Google it. They are increasingly being recognized as contaminants of concern. Just remember that our water treatment facilities were not designed to address these things. And examples of these emergent contaminants are ingredients from prescription, veterinary, and over-the-counter therapeutic drugs, cosmetics, sunscreens, fragrances, and chemicals used to create resistance like stickiness, resistance to stickiness, water stains, and fire, and also ingredients in antibacterial and antimicrobial products. So this is just one reason, another reason why it's good to be mindful of what we buy, because what we buy does end up influencing our water supply. And so just keeping in mind that there's been more than 84,000 chemicals introduced since World War II, that's just in the United States. And again, each country has its own story. So last time we talked about the European Union having at least 143,000 chemicals registered. So just keep that in mind when you're thinking, how worthwhile is it to invest in my water filtration? And also the issue of some of these chemicals are so highly persistent, they take years, decades, or centuries to biodegrade. This is just a modern issue. I want to help you identify the best water filtration for your budget. In my opinion, any water filtration is better than none. But the more materials the water can go through, like the more membranes or materials to absorb contaminants or block out, I think the better. That's what makes me feel comfortable, especially in my country home where there are cancer clusters. The most affordable thing you can do is buy a water pitcher, like a Brita 
Some refrigerators come with water filtration, and you just want to make sure that you're following the manufacturer's instructions for replacing the filter, because that will really make a difference. And then some water bottles have water filtration capabilities. So at a bare minimum, these options are pretty affordable. Next, which gets a little bit more expensive, sometimes requires a plumber to install it, is what's called a point-of-use water filtration system. I'll talk more about it later. And the point-of-use can be where, like in your kitchen sink, where the water comes out of your faucet, but then sometimes it can be an additional faucet that is attached to your kitchen countertop. Those are examples of point of use. And point of entry is the most expensive. That usually goes in the basement of a home and it filters all water coming into the home. So if you live in an area where maybe there are cancer clusters or there are other concerns with your water, then you might want to do this because say you have young children who take long baths then you maybe want to invest in a point of entry water filtration system. So even the bath water and shower water is filtered. Quick poll, at home, do you currently use a water filter? 67% say yes, 33% say no. Great, everyone is already off to a great start. And then which water filtration system do you currently use? Great, 20% say none, 60% use a water pitcher, 10% use point of use, and 10% use point of entry. So I came up with a list of questions to help you in your research as you're trying to understand which water filtration is best for your budget. Like I said earlier, look up your order a municipal water quality assessment assuming you have water from a municipal source and not well water. If you have well water, then you'll want to get the well water tested. There's also a great database by the Environmental Working Group. You can type in your zip code and they will give you a summary of the number of contaminants found in the tap water with that zip code, as well as the key contaminants so that you can use that information to help find a water filter that will address those contaminants. So you want to find that match of what are the contaminants in my water supply and which filters will most effectively address those contaminants. The Environmental Working Group also has resources to help you find the best water filter for your zip code. And think about or research whether there are cancer clusters or other local concerns and wonder what are potential local sources of pollution. Do you live near farmland where a lot of pesticides have been used because that can get in the water? Have there been prior industrial activities in the area that can contaminate the water? What was prior land use? And are there emerging issues with where, where the water comes from? And these these come from my experiences with my home in Suffolk County. I, all of these issues were relevant to my water supply. So for example, my home is built on land that used to be farmland for like centuries. And it took me a long time and many conversations with like four different water filtration experts to realize that 
there was this, there's a certain type of pesticide that's toxic that is common in my area. And I didn't know that I should make sure that the lab was testing for it and consider the type of pipes through which the water travels. So these are just, as you gather this information, you'll start to get a feeling of how worthwhile it is for you to invest in a point of entry water filtration system or a point of use is better. Or if you feel like your water is pretty safe, then you don't have to invest as much. And also be curious about the fixtures through which the water comes out. You just want to, you know, if you do, um, if you get your water tested, that should really help you identify whether your pipes or fixtures are also contaminating your water. So you also, after doing your own online research, you should also have some conversations and talk to as many water filtration experts as you can, but really wonder if they are informed about your local concerns. So all the research you did on the prior slide, you'll that will give you good background and prep for your conversations because you want to be interviewing water filtration experts. Don't assume that they actually know about your local water supply. I know that from personal experience. I just made that assumption that they knew about my water. I've also had conversations with highly recommended water filtration experts who didn't even believe in the emerging contaminants. They weren't informed. And so since I was more informed, I knew, okay, maybe their system isn't going to be good enough for me. And talk to local residents because you'll have neighbors who have been more concerned and will have looked into this more and you can learn from others. So just try and have as many conversations as possible with people who might know more about your local water supply. Some municipal water facilities are known for creating more contamination in water, commonly chlorine in Suffolk County. We tend to have a lot of chlorine in our water. You also want to interview the lab that you may use to test your water. This suggestion comes from my experience of using two different labs that were recommended by local people, local people that are supposed to be excellent in what they do. And I, I live in Long Island, but the lab was in New Hampshire. And when I later learned that there's this common pesticide that I mentioned earlier from farming potatoes, I then had to look back at the lab report to see, did that lab even look for this common pesticide? And it didn't. The lab was probably recommended by a water filtration expert. So I assumed this lab was relevant for my water, but it took many conversations years later to realize they weren't necessarily looking for the contaminants that are really relevant to my local water supply. This took me many, many years to do. I think this is very hard to do, but if this saves you time, I just wanted to share what I wish I knew sooner. I would start a list of your local contaminants. What I like about having the workbook is that the local contaminants will change over time. And so when you finally invest the time to research, what are the contaminants I want to address? Which filters address them now? That's a really good reference point for 
years later when maybe you have to replace carbon in your point of entry water filtration system, which is expensive. At that point, which can be five to eight years later, technology will have changed a lot and people around you will be even more informed. And so I think that record of what your concerns were before will just save you time when you're reassessing what's the best use of my money? Do I want to use the system that I've already invested in? Are there any like modifications that are practical to make? Or is it worthwhile to invest in something new and more modern? But I think the contamination will evolve over time. Meanwhile, the municipal water facilities are also looking to improve their treatments. So again, when you're interviewing labs to use also ask them about their experience in testing water from your area. And ideally, you could get some references and talk to people who've used them before, but I probably would not get around to doing that, but ideally you would. So once again, from most budget-friendly to most expensive, your options are using a water pitcher or a water bottle with filtration or the the water filtration in your refrigerator. Some point of use examples are in the refrigerator or by the sink uh, for your shower head or for your bath fixture. When I was looking into water filtration, my children were really young and they were taking like 30 to 40 minute baths. So it was really important to me that their bath water be cleaner. The most expensive option is a point of entry system. There's several different systems. It can include a physical membrane to block out what's called total dissolved solids. So it could be pebbles, it could be rocks, and it can be smaller. But carbon is often used also, and that's a very effective way to absorb and filter out many contaminants. Sometimes light is used, like UV light, to kill viruses and bacteria. The one proposal I got for that was so expensive. It was $14,000. I decided not, I couldn't do that, but you might encounter that. And what I, from what I have read, the filtration technology that removes the emerging contaminants, what's best right now is reverse osmosis and nanofiltration membranes. So nano just means like it's so, so tiny. It's like smaller than like the diameter of a strand of hair. But the concern I've heard about reverse osmosis, which really strips away everything, including good minerals, is that the water is so stripped that in your body, water will always look to balance itself out. So it might like pull minerals from your bones or elsewhere to balance itself out. I don't know if that's true, but when I heard that, it was very alarming because I'm playing with the, the health of my children. And so I just want to share that because I was upset when I heard it. I don't know if it's true, but there are filtration systems that after reverse osmosis will remineralize the water. So if you're going to do reverse osmosis, consider that the result of reverse osmosis can strip the water of all the good stuff too. And it, the water, you might feel like it's worthwhile to invest in a system that uh, rebalances the water. 
And another concern with reverse osmosis is that it wastes a lot of water. So what I do in my home is, especially in Suffolk County with the cancer clusters, I have a point of entry system that I had for about five years and I never felt comfortable. I just didn't trust it for some reason. And any opportunity I had, I would ask some relevant expert, do you think it's enough? Is there anything more I can do? And they kept saying, all these local people kept saying, no, hands down, we have the best system. And I never felt comfortable. And then it crushed me when years later, I realized that the water was never actually being directed to go through the water filter. Because sometimes when you call a plumber, because water pressure is low, they, to make their job easier, they like, they turn the valve off. So it doesn't go through the filter because that slows like the water coming out of your faucet. And so that was very upsetting. And so because of that experience later on, when I found a seven to nine stage water filtration system that I could put under the sink. I happily invested in that and did a lot of due diligence on that also. And so I, I added in this, uh, and I say seven to nine stages because the creator says it's nine stages. I always count seven. Um, so if he's right, it's nine stages, but it's nine like different kinds of materials that the water goes through, including reverse osmosis and a process to rebalance the water. And so I use that just for the drinking water. And I just want to share something I found on a website by the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection. They wrote, at this time, reverse osmosis membranes and nanofiltration membranes have exhibited great success in re removing target analytes in several published studies. Still, no single drinking water or wastewater treatment technology is currently available to remove all of these compounds. Each technology has varying success rates at removing emerging contaminants from the water. So it's because of these idea that there's no single technology or single material that can remove everything that is of concern. I just try and diversify my risks. And I just think that's a that's generally a good philosophy with all toxic exposures is nothing, usually nothing is perfect. So whenever you can diversify your risks, that's a good thing to do. I wanted to talk about when you will safer water bottles and ideally you're using filtered water in food grade stainless steel or glass water bottles. And there are safer plastics you can use uh, one source said polypropylene is a good alternative, but I do find that the more I search, the more I find conflicting reports with plastics. When you do drink from plastic water bottles or you need to buy a, a water, like plastic water bottle because you're traveling, be aware that toxic chemicals seem to be released from plastic more when the plastic has been heated. So if you see the water bottle, like in a really hot place, then beware. I'm thinking of one time I was in France and uh, we had a driver for the day who was taking us to different sites. And 
he says, oh, let me give you a water bottle. And I said, oh, that's okay. There was a water bottle in the car. He said, no, no, that was sitting in the sun. There are going to be more toxic chemicals in the water. And I was so impressed he knew that. But he then went to the trunk of his car, opened it up, and I saw a big cooler with ice. And he had all these water bottles in there. So if you have the choice to choose a plastic water bottle that has not been in the sun, that has not been in heat, then it's more likely to be safer. So other examples of when, if you are using plastic water bottles, sometimes for children, that's the best option. And if it's a reusable one, then beware that the dishwasher will heat the plastic and that can make the plastic more likely to leach chemicals. And uh, if you're using it for hot liquids, then that can also more likely absorb chemicals from the plastic. And if you see old or scr um, scratched plastic bottles, then it's safer to not use them. So now that we've talked about contaminants in water, there are things you can do to reduce how we each contribute, buy food from organic farmers, especially local ones, buy the most non-toxic household products you can, because ultimately what we pour down the drain, excrete into the toilets and discard can end up in our water supply. Follow manufacturer's instructions when discarding things, including pharmaceuticals and other medications and cleaning products and more. And do not flush or dispose down the drain any unused or expired medications. There are pharmaceutical return programs that can provide guidance. Should I take questions now? I think let's do, we have, um, Eileen asked one question and I have two very quick ones. Great. Eileen's question is, can you trust your water company's water quality report? Or do you re recommend additional testing if the report shows that your wallet water quality is compliant? I think it's hard to generalize. So again, my, ex like for New York City, I wouldn't worry so much. I would trust it because there are like 8 million people here. So I think there are more resources that go into making sure the water quality is good. In Long Island, I just don't feel comfortable. So I would, I mean, I just kept researching anything new. I Any opportunity to understand my water quality more, I, I did it. And it was emotionally very hard. I mean, this was, this has been very upsetting. That's why I think the more you you can research through conversations and online, the more you have an informed instincts on what makes the most sense for you. And speaking of Long Island, how do you find out if there are cancer clusters in your area? So it was through local people. I started to even realize there are cancer clusters. I would just meet babysitters and like the farmers would mention it. And then I started Googling it. So definitely look online, but that's why conversations can, can inform you of things that you can't even find online and you can't find in the quality assessment report. Thank you. And then my two very quick questions are just little things that you had mentioned to me in one of our previous conversations. One being the point of entry system and the different systems that the water goes through. And there was very something you were talking about the carbon filter. 
And there's yeah. something, it has to be activated, right? Yes. Activated so, carbon. Yeah, this, like, it took me years to hear there are different types of carbon. I thought, carbon, like, there's just one type. And I assumed, like, water filters would just use this one standard of carbon. But apparently, there are different types. There's activated carbon. And more recently, I heard of catalyt- catalytic carbon. And I've heard, so my understanding is activated carbon is very good at a minimum, try and get that. But if you can get catalytic carbon, it's a little bit better. So these are details that, again, I like to just document because the information is imperfect. It's really hard to understand what your options are. And so these are details I like to write down because I look into it every like six to 18 or 24 months. And it's hard to remember. And it's also hard to remember, like, when did I last replace the filter? And when did I install it? And how often should there be a maintenance call? I just realized it was supposed to be an annual maintenance visit, but my house manager never told me and it wasn't being done. So there are also details into making sure it works properly. Absolutely. And last question on water. Um, for the the seven to nine stage water filtration system that you use, that's basically reverse osmosis, but then it adds back in all that good stuff. What is that called? Or is there someone is how can people find out more about that? You know, it's hard just through the conversations I ha- I've had with this creator to, with any any supplier to be a hundred percent confident because really everyone has a different perspective, but I got very comfortable that there are well-known doctors who endorse him. Um, The author of this well-known book clean. I think the author's name is pronounced Dr. Alejandro younger, but he's written about this water filtration guy and Gwyneth Paltrow uses him. And I thought, wow, she can afford the best. Um, and so that also played into me deciding to go with him. And it wasn't nearly as expensive as like the $14,000 system someone was really recommending. It was like one or $2,000. Okay. Thank you. I think that's it for now. And we can move okay. on to sleep. Okay, sleep. Um, I'm not going to be able to go through everything. So I'll try and go through things quickly. Again, we talked about sleep quality is so powerful. It really can counter so much stress that we encounter during the day. It can optimize your immune response, help maintain healthy weight, detoxes the brain. Your brain flushes out toxins during your sleep, helps learning and memory. Where sleep increases health risks for a number of things. And so the more you can really improve the quality of your sleep, the more, more you can heal and restore. So ways you can improve the quality of your sleep is to prioritize your detox efforts towards your sleep areas. So if you have a small apartment, like the apartment I had after college in Manhattan, tiny apartment, detoxing my home, not a big deal. But if you have a big home, detoxing your home can be really overwhelming. So you can prioritize your efforts by applying all the checklists we discussed last time to your sleep area. So go through the air detox checklist, the dust detox, and just make sure your sleep 
bacteria incorporates as much of those ideas as possible. Air filters can be expensive. If you have to prioritize where you sleep is high impact. We generally spend about a third of our lives in our bedrooms. So use those ideas to think about you know, where you spend a third of your life restoring. And edit your stuff with the love test, which we talked about last time. Just look at what you what you really need to have in your room or what you love. Anything else, try and declutter because generally stuff contaminates our air and dust. Think about blue light, which is in all digital screens. It disrupts our circadian rhythms. It wakes up our brain, tells our brain it's daylight. And so be aware of that with digital screens, but also there are some light bulbs that also emit blue lights. And that's just something you can look into more. Blue light blocking glasses have been found to be very helpful. So ideally, you're not looking at digital screens two to three hours before bedtime. But if you need to, then use blue light blocking glasses. And I will try and I introduce EMFs. So EMFs are electromagnetic fields that are created from both wired and wireless technology. There's conflicting information out there, but just keep in mind again, like even with COVID, which is a modern issue we're all we're all focused on, there's conflicting opinions on whether you should wear masks. And not everyone believes in the science. There's a long list of examples where that's true, including wireless radiation. But research has found that it can compromise the quality of your sleep, wireless radiation. One report recently from the Swiss government said that it can cause or worsen a number of chronic illnesses. So again, this is, these are just some reasons why when you sleep and you're not going to miss the wireless radiation or even the energy from the wired products to uh, remove it from your bedroom or create distance from where your body is. Just want to quickly mention there are two lawsuits, including really credible scientists who are suing the FCC for not updating the wireless radiation standards since 1996. The standards are 24 years old. I am concerned. I've looked into this a lot. I'm concerned. I focus on sleep. So where we sleep, when we sleep, I try and silence the energy, still the energy as much as possible. And children have unique risks. And I do want to point out some countries like Cyprus and France have removed Wi-Fi from kindergartens and restricted it in classrooms and banned phones in schools. So governments around the world and even within the U.S. have varying responses to the science. So for detox tips for your bedroom, remove wireless devices like cell phones, laptops, even cordless phones. Some cordless phones can act like mini cell phone towers. So if you don't need it, then don't have it in your bedroom and ideally not in your home. Minimize the wired devices around your sleep area. I've had a few EMF experts come to my home with suitcases and meters. And it was only after I've seen on these meters how much energy is created from the lamp being plugged into the outlet, even when turned off, that I, and I need to get a video recording of this. So my husband will stop leaving all these plugged in things around uh, the children. But it, it's hard because EMFs are invisible. And I've seen with meters how strong these. Um, wired devices and wireless devices can be. And one time I had a guy 
Um, I was in my bedroom out east and he had a meter to measure the wireless radiation from like a router. And I saw that there was radiation coming from the basement. We were on the second floor. The router radiation was coming from the basement through the floors. And I saw how strong it was on the meter. And then when I stood in front of the path, it went down. So that just showed me how much my body was absorbing. And so things that might be on your nightstand are plugged in radios, TVs, or not on your nightstand, but uh, TVs might be near your bed, answering machines, lamps. So if you need to have them in your bedroom, just remember distance is your friend. The radiation dissipates with distance. And some televisions, even when plugged in and not on, emit fields. If you can turn Wi-Fi off at night, then that's good too. If you don't need it, then turn it off. You can turn it off manually or attach it to a timer. So it automatically goes off at night and automatically comes on in the morning. I would leave it off all the time, but my husband, you know, it makes my husband happier that it's on when he really needs it. And if you must be near an active router, then you can look into getting a router guard. And we talked earlier about avoiding digital screens at least two hours before bedtime and blue light filtering glasses. And just in summary, so prioritize your bedroom, your sleep areas for keeping the air, dust, and energy clean. And be mindful of blue light that is increasingly compromising our sleep quality for many people. Scientists I've talked to about EMS have each mentioned how powerful it is, how powerful the healing is when we can get deep sleep and darkness is really important. Ideally, if you have blackout shades, that's great. But also I have an eye mask that I now use and I I get at least an extra hour of sleep when I use it. And also quiet. The more quiet it can be, the deeper your sleep will be. If you want more, there are checklists in the EMF Detox Workbook. Absolutely. Natasha, thank you. What's your opinion on white noise for kids? I think it helps a lot of kids from what I hear. I know my air filtration kind of serves as like white noise and that's really helpful. It's just if it's in your bedroom, try and have it be as far away from where they sleep. I have a personal question. Years ago, I learned from you, my husband is very resistant to turning the Wi-Fi router off at night because he often, I'm sure you gets up in the middle of the night and works. But just a simple change, like putting your phone on airplane mode can is better than nothing. So that's where I am. That's as far as I've gotten. But I wanted to recommend yeah. that for people I, if you're kind of on your journey. <laughs> I completely overlooked that. And that's usually the number one thing I say. And I'll just add with airplane mode, make sure it disables Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and cellular. I feel like the software upgrades have changed things in the past. Using airplane mode disabled all of that. But now it's more tricky. And so just confirm that all three are off. So when I need, when I'm at home and I can use Wi-Fi instead of cellular, I make sure Bluetooth is off if I don't need it. Because it's just less, less radiation. Mm -hmm. And these Carly are the conversations to have with your children too, just to, you know, not in a scary way, but just in a like interesting, oh, did you know? Because it's important that they be mindful of how to make safer choices too. Absolutely. 
Carly had a question. Have you looked into or come across EMFs from the outside, like cell towers and how they affect your home? Yeah, that's a really overwhelming topic. I've had a number of, of people measure my home and it's upsetting. It's hard to, you can't control it. Um, whenever I can file a complaint with New York City, I do, but that's overwhelming. And so I really try and focus on inside my home where I can control certain things. And I really focus on quality sleep. It's my greatest weakness is good sleep, but it's the most powerful thing we can do. And so like in my workbook, I talk about creating recovery periods. And that's a good way to think about it. Anytime you have an opportunity to create recovery from the EMF exposures that we can't control, the more resilient your body and brain can be for what we can't control. Thank you. That's really helpful. And I, I know a lot of this can be very overwhelming for a lot of people, including me, but I think I love your approach and that do what you can. And doing one thing is better than not doing anything. And then maybe see if you can take another step in a few weeks and just that small changes can make an impact. Yeah. And I just want to reiterate, we are so resilient. We, you know, we really are. And so just take the time to keep learning the one more thing you can do to make it into a habit and don't try and change everything overnight. That's impossible, not sustainable. It'll stress you out, which is stress is toxic. But um, we're really resilient and just try and get good sleep and eat well. Thanks for listening. For podcast show notes, visit www.ruanliving.com, spelled www.ruanisanontoxicliving.com. To more easily listen to other episodes, please subscribe to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast. And if you'd like to support it, please like it and share it. Until next time.